Good afternoon. I waited exactly till it was 12, so. Um, can you please rise with me as we read from God's word? From Hebrews chapter 13, verses uh, 1 to 3. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. This is from the English Standard Version. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Um, This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you a lot for this day, for uh, the community of your people who we have brought together into this uh, house as we uh, were able to remember you and what your son did for us on the cross of Calvary through the um, through the emboldening of the Spirit, a lot that uh, who dwells within us, a lot, and we ask a lot that as we seek to learn from your Word today, that you'll speak to us and open our minds and hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know how many of you know this, but um, there was supposed to be another speaker today, um, and uh, so I was happily. S- sleeping yesterday at like uh, 3.30 in the morning um, when there was a phone call and, uh, and my wife is like, can you check that? I, I thought it was an alarm, right? That I might have forgotten to turn off or something. And I checked, it's like Nishant. I'm like, I, I pretty much guarantee to myself that he kind of rolled over in his sleep somehow and managed to uh, dial my number. So I rejected the call. Um, <laughs> Then he called me again, and I picked, at this point, I'm, like, worried. Because who calls at, like, 3.30 in the morning? You're expecting something really serious to have happened, right? So, so he's like, uh, Geo. I'm like, all right, this is some bad news, right? And he's like, um, yeah, the speaker is sick. He won't be able to make it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I said, no problem. And then I went back to sleep. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, so I hope that, um, you know, we have the opportunity to uh, read from God's Word and to study a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever little I was able to prepare, I'm sure God will use to, um, you know, to bring forth to our remembrance certain matters that are important. I looked at the sermon schedule. Actually, it said Valentine's Day sermon. And uh, I said, no way. Right? Like, there's... <laughs> There's no way I'm, I'm speaking on uh, a Valentine's Day uh, topic. But I thought about it, and uh, I wanted to speak on uh, Christian love. And this is one of the passages that came to my mind almost immediately. There are a lot of love passages in the Bible, um, but this one has very specific applications that are listed there. Um, and this is... You know, from the book of Hebrews, which we have studied before, um, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, um, actually, if you ask someone where this passage is from, most people won't be able to say that it's from Hebrews, because it sounds like it should be in like Philippians or or uh, you know, First Corinthians or something. Uh, it's kind of uh, like an abrupt change from what the book of Hebrews has until that point been talking about, which is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and a warning to Christians of that church not to throw away their faith 
because of external pressure. And then he comes to chapter 13 and he says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. But if you read Hebrews chapter 12, especially if you read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 to 29, we can see why he talks about hospitality in chapter 13. First, uh, let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 to 29. It says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay? So then you read uh, chapter 13 in the light of what we see in chapter 12, and we remember that Hebrews is actually one long letter, right? So there's no chapters. He's, he's writing it in the flow of what he wants to say, and there are two things that we understand about hospitality just because it comes immediately after chapter 13. The first thing is that hospitality is a part of what the Hebrews writer calls as acceptable worship, right? So in the sense that we understand worship to be offering to God praise and thanksgiving, he's including hospitality in the category of acceptable spiritual worship. Right? Paul does something similar in, Hebrews, uh, in Romans chapter 12. He says, uh, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Right? Um, and in 12 and verse 1, he says, you know, that is your, sp- like, offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual worship. So the Hebrews writer is saying something similar. Like, you have to think of worship in a bigger manner than what we are used to thinking, right? Worship doesn't just happen on Sunday in church. It doesn't just happen when we read the Bible or sing songs or pray or praise God. Rather, worship is the, is the living out of the gospel in our lives, and all of that is worship. All of that is spiritual worship. It's acceptable worship. So hospitality is one of the aspects of acceptable worship. Secondly, Uh, In Hebrews chapter 12, we read, he says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So there's some things in the world that are temporary, right? That are transient. And what he's saying is that when Jesus comes for one last time and he shakes the world one last time, there are many things that are going to fall off and be removed because they are not permanent. And yet, One of the things that will remain, and if you read um, chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, let brotherly love continue, but actually it is let brotherly love remain, right? That is the actual translation. One of the things that will remain is brotherly love or hospitality. So when Jesus shakes the earth and all the temporal things, all the the pleasures of the world, all the earthly uh, things, fall away, one of the things that will remain is brotherly love. That is why it's an important topic, and that's why the Hebrews writer chooses to address it immediately after what he has said in chapter 12. So what is the motivation for Christian hospitality? 
So before we delve into this passage, we have to ask ourselves, why is hospitality a big deal in the Bible? And it is a big deal not because of culture, not because of social status or of social expectation. Hospitality in Christianity, in the Bible, in our faith, is an extension of God's character. It's an extension of God's glory. Why do we say that? Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 to 34. This is one of the many passages uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that talk about hospitality. And Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 to 34 says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, that is in Israel, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Why? For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, what is God saying? God is saying, you spend more than 400 years as strangers in the land of Egypt, where people didn't care for you, they didn't love you. In fact, they treated you in the harshest possible manner. And yet God took care of the nation of Israel while they were strangers in the land of Egypt. Not only did he take care of them, but he also brought them back home, right? He safeguarded them, he shepherded them, and then finally he brought them back to his home. That is the promised land, right? The promised land is not the land of, that, is, that is exclusive to Israel. It is exclusive to Israel because God gave it to them. It is God's land. And he brought them to the promised land. He brought them back home. So the, the ethical imperative in the Old Testament for hospitality, to provide for the stranger, is a reflection of God's hospitality to the nation of Israel while they were in Egypt. Now, when you come to the New Testament, that notion is actually expanded to include salvation and the gospel. Who are we? How many of us here are Jews? How many of us here belong to the nation of Israel? Uh, I can very safely say that's no one, right? We were all classified as Gentiles, those outside of the household of God. But this is what Paul says in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. He says, now, because of the cross of Christ, because of the gospel which you have heard, which the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sins, and thereby you have received salvation through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He says, now you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So in the New Testament, hospitality of, the hospitality of God is shown in the way in which those who are outside have been brought to the inside through the work of Christ on the cross. See, God's love for the world resulted in Jesus' invitation to us Gentiles to become part of his family. And that invitation is made actual uh, through the cross, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Um, this, is, uh, this is what John Piper has to say about hospitality. He says, grace is the hospitality of God to welcome sinners not because of their goodness, but because of his glory. If God chose not to magnify the glory of his own self-sufficiency and instead to enrich himself, by looking for talented and virtuous housemates, there would be no grace in the world and no hospitality and no salvation. We owe our eternal life to grace and grace 
is God's disposition to glorify himself, his power, and his wealth by showing hospitality to sinners. So what does that mean? In the New Testament, the imperative for hospitality is because God has shown us hospitality. He has given us the Son who died for us on the cross of Calvary, thereby making us no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Hospitality, therefore, is one of the keys to the gospel. It is a medium, if you read the New Testament, through which the gospel message is shared, and it is validated. You not only share the gospel message through hospitality, but people who enjoy your hospitality can actually validate the effect of the gospel in your lives because of the kindness that you show them. Hospitality is an extension of God's character. It's also an extension of Jesus' own teaching. In Matthew chapter um, 25, uh, verse 31, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That is what the Hebrews writer is expounding. He's not sharing something that is new. He's not telling something that, uh, that he believes to be the right thing. He's saying this is what Jesus actually preached. And now as members of God's household, we are to do what Jesus expects us to do. So in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, let brotherly love continue. And he, and he specifically talks of three aspects of Christian hospitality. The first one is uh, in, in verse one. It says, let brotherly love continue, right? The first aspect of Christian hospitality is hospitality to the household of God. To be very specific, it's hospitality to the local church, right? It's not, doesn't mean just that hospitality to the entire Christian church everywhere in the world. It means specifically hospitality to the local church. And that is the primary expression of Christian hospitality. Right? So Christian hospitality is incomplete if this is missing. And it is misguided if this is neglected because we are pursuing other means of hospitality. See what I'm saying? If you put, let's say, hospitality for your neighbors, if you put hospitality for those who are oppressed, those who are persecuted, which are all great things, but you neglect the household of God, then Christian hospitality is misguided and it is incomplete, okay? That's what it says, brotherly love. You know what's the Greek for brotherly love? It's Philadelphia, right? So Philadelphia, they call themselves the city of brotherly love, but Philadelphia means brotherly love, right? Delphi means siblings, um, and, and philo is one of the words for love in Greek. And before Christianity, before the New Testament came about, Philadelphia exclusively meant love between siblings, Right? Love between brothers and sisters are related by blood. That's all it meant. It was Christian relationships, you know, which were transformed because of the cross, 
that changed the meaning of Philadelphia from love between brother and sister of a mother to love for those who we identify as brothers and sisters. See what I'm saying? Christianity changed the meaning of brotherly love from meaning exclusively love for your brother and your sister through blood to love for your brother and your sister through identity. And when we see culture today take up that um, same meaning, you know, but people um, in various communities will refer to each other as brother, right, or sister, even though they are not related by blood. That is a Christian concept. There is no concept of that outside of Christianity. And that is what Jesus himself said when Jesus' mothers and uh, siblings were waiting outside to see him. He said, who is my family? My disciples, those who follow me. In Hebrews chapter two, it says, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Therefore, the Christian community is one in which we are all brothers and sisters and our brotherly love is to continue, is to remain. It is to flourish through acts of kindness and hospitality. And in fact, that is one of the defining characteristics of the early local church, right? Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 13, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Then he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The first and primary aspect of Christian hospitality is our love for the household of God. The second aspect of that is our love or our hospitality to those who are unfamiliar to us. That is verse two of Hebrews chapter 13. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And do we know what he's referring to when he said some have entertained angels unawares? He's referring to Abraham, right? When, when the angels came to give him news of Sarah's impending uh, uh, pregnancy. And if you read that verse, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, right? That's what it's in the English translation. In the actual Greek, it just says, do not neglect to show hospitality. Because the word for hospitality, what is the word for brotherly love? It's Philadelphia. The word for hospitality is philoxenia, right? There isn't a specific word there for strangers. It only says, show philoxenia, which means, if you break it up, which you're not supposed to do, but in this case you can think of it, it means love for strangers. That is hospitality. So even in Romans chapter 12, Paul uses the same word. Now in here the English translation has made it clear by saying show hospitality to strangers, but it only says show hospitality. And we get the word xenophobia from the same root. Have you heard of xenophobia? Xenophobia is the fear of strangers, which defines us as a culture and as a community. We are afraid 
of anyone and anything that is unfamiliar to us. We put up a ton of barriers to prevent us from ever interacting with someone or something outside of our own comfort uh, levels. So here, the strangers are everyone outside of our own community, those we are unfamiliar with. The sad thing in today's local church is that some of those strangers are actually your brothers and sisters as well. Because we have fallen behind in the true Christian meaning of brotherly love, which is a familiarity with each and every one in our local church. We are now familiar with specific people, or we enjoy being with specific uh, families, and thereby we are now strangers to people in our own communities. So that's why I changed that uh, from, you know, to show hospitality to strangers, to show hospitality to those who are unfamiliar to us, right? And, and, and they could be believers, they could be unbelievers, but here it doesn't make the differentiation. Because what the writer is saying is that, you know, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for some have neglected angels unawares. You know, Abraham was not looking at the angels and validating whether that angel was a believer or not. He treated them just the same. And we have to understand, in the ancient world, you know, hospitality was actually a commercial activity, right? Not like hotels, you know, like Marriott or whatever. It's because in the ancient world, travel was so dangerous. Like if you traveled overnight, there was the risk that you would be uh, you know, fallen upon by robbers and bandits, be beaten up, have all your things taken away from you, probably even killed, that in order to protect trade, right, which is people going from city to city, town to town with their goods, they made it kind of like a mandate that people would be taken in for the night. So that's what used to happen. People would come to the city gates or the town gates at nighttime. Someone would validate that, right, who you were, so that they, they would validate you are not a spy or you are not the, like, the leader of an army. Um, then they would take you in and then someone would, you were expected to show hospitality, to provide a board for that traveler uh, for the night. But Christians did not do it for benefit or for commerce. Christians did it because they expressed God's love for the world through hospitality to strangers, to those they were unfamiliar with. Uh, this is what a, a commentator says um, about this passage. He says, for Christians, the expectation is that God will play a significant role in the ordinary exchange between guests and hosts, right? Where there's, you know, from ancient times, there's been the concept of hospitality, that we will have guests, I will be a host, or I might be a guest, you will be a host. But where Christians differ is that we have to believe that in our expressions of hospitality to strangers, God himself will use that, will play a role in making something good come out of it. And that expectation uh, is what, draw, what drove the early church to be hospitable to people who they were unfamiliar with. You have to think about you know, the two 
um, if you were to see an, an evidence of that, you think about the two disciples after Jesus' death walking back on the road to Emmaus. They saw a man, they talked to him, they put him up for the night. That turned out to be Jesus himself. And it, it is that idea that God can use our ordinary expressions of hospitality to work in our lives, in somebody else's lives as well, that drives the whole aspect of Christian hospitality to strangers. So the first aspect of hospitality is to the household of God. The second one is to those unfamiliar to us. The last one to those who are detained in some way or the other. Uh, This is verse three. It says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. In the time of the, of the Hebrews, uh, the writing of Hebrews, it was common for many members of the local church to somehow be imprisoned because they were persecuted for their faith. And so in its immediate context, what the writer is saying is that since you're all part of the body, you have to go and visit those who are persecuted and who are in prison, and you have to encourage them in spite of the negative repercussions that it might uh, bring upon you, right? If you went to prison to visit someone who was persecuted for their faith, what is the danger that you yourself would be open to persecution, that you might be shamed by society? But the writer is saying you remember them, you visit them, you encourage them because you are part of the same body, right? So today, we might not have that uh, same situation. But we have many among us who are detained for other reasons. That could be age. It could be uh, infirmity or disease. It could be poverty. There's no point in passing an invitation to people who cannot reasonably be expected to accept it. See what I'm saying? There's no point in in giving an invitation out to a brother or sister who cannot reasonably be expected to accept it. Instead, our mandate is to actually go and, and minister to them in their own situation, in their own abode, because they are detained for some reason or the other. And that is why churches, you know, elderships, encourage its members to visit those who are sick, to visit those who are elderly, to visit those who have suffered a tremendous loss in their lives. Because that way we are showcasing hospitality to them in their time and in their place of need. And you can expand that to think about you know, this whole concept of human rights, right? There's a lot of people who make a big fuss about human rights. There are organizations, like there's Amnesty International. Um, there, there are politicians. You know, there are politicians in Canada who now don't want the Canadian government to sell arms to Saudi Arabia because there's human rights violations there. But the only worldview that can consistently apply human rights is the Christian worldview because we love everyone regardless of their status or location, right? We do not care what someone's status is, what someone's location is, what someone's context is, because we affirm the right of every individual because they have been created by God. 
And I remember there was a time when we as a church used to minister to some folk in a senior's home nearby. And we brought them much relief and joy and affirmation. Only once a week. I didn't even think it was once a week. It was probably once every two weeks. But where, you know, there's a, there was loneliness and despair through our simple act and those who were with us can remember, we brought up so much relief and so much joy, so much affirmation, so much encouragement because we do not believe that just because you are detained or you are infirm that somehow you are condemned to a life of loneliness and despair. This is a culture that increasingly believes that because they do not want to inconvenience themselves by doing the hard work of ministering to those in need, even if they are related by blood. You know, the, the Supreme Court recently ruled saying that there is a constitutional right to euthanasia, which is uh, self-inflicted suicide, if the person has, um, has an enduring kind of suffering that is incurable. Now, there's a lot of Christian reasons to, to, to say that is completely wrong, right? Again, they are saying, because you do not think you have any value to add or because you do not, you are like uh, vegetative, somehow you have no rights. But they went ahead and said also this, for example, uh, this is what a reporter said, the decision is silent, for example, on whether depression or mental illness counts as a medical condition. The code does include psychological pain under the criteria of enduring and intolerable suffering. You know what that means? That means we are heading to a point where someone could say, I'm so neglected, I'm so unaffirmed that it is an enduring psychological pain for me. And that is a true for many people that I deserve the right to die. You see, a culture that has gone completely in the direction of individual affirmation, individual convenience, is now saying to its most vulnerable people that we are not willing to inconvenience ourselves, but rather we are going to give you the right to end your existence. And Christianity is the only worldview that stands as a counterpoint because no one else cares. This is a world that has neglected to care for the needs of its most vulnerable. Instead, here we are said, we are asked to remember those who are mistreated, to those who are in need, to those who are in prison. So three aspects of Christian hospitality, to the household of God, to those who are, you are unfamiliar with, to those who are detained and vulnerable. So what does that mean in a practical sense? How do we go about applying that? Well, first off, as, as, as a church community, we have to begin by inviting each other home, right? Or you can flip that and you can go visit someone else, you know, give them due notice. Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, entertaining angels unawares. 
doesn't mean that you have to entertain angels in your underwear, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, don't know, you shouldn't go visit someone at 3.30 in the morning. Um, but we have the obligation to invite everyone home. We have the obligation to go visit those who cannot make it, and especially even if they can make it, show your love for your brother and sister by visiting them. And Peter says this in First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. He says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he says, Show hospitality one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. He says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like, why do you think people were grumbling in showing hospitality? Well, perhaps... In those times where the church was so familiar with each other, there was an expectation, a righteous expectation, that you would show hospitality to your brother and sister. And for some people, that might have become a burden. But in our world today, that grumbling, that stress, probably comes from our own expectations of ourselves. What do I mean by that? Uh, A book called The People's History of Christianity in a chapter called The Love of Neighbor, says this, to us, that is to us today, hospitality is an industry, not a practice. One that summons Martha Stewart to mind more quickly than Jesus Christ. Do we know who Martha Stewart is? Yeah. So what the author is saying is that hospitality is not a practice, it's an industry. And when we hear the word hospitality, we think of Martha Stewart living. We think of better homes and gardens. We think of Canadian living. We think of entertaining as opposed to showing hospitality. That's why we need to have you know, ultra clean homes. We need to have um, the best dishes. We need to have cups that are hanging on you know, those stands which look like petals on a flower. Because we have created this concept in our minds that we have to entertain people and that really is an expression of ourselves. Right? When we entertain people, we are showing let me show you the best that I can do. Look at the effort I put in to bring you into this home. Look at the long hours of effort and work that I have already undertook to make you feel comfortable. And you keep doing that more and more, it creates what? A stress that naturally leads to the decline of Christian hospitality. I'm not saying that we do not need to. I look forward to eating the food prepared by you know, our sisters. But sometimes the need for a brother or sister for Christian hospitality is not to share a meal, but rather to share their lives. It's to shed their tears in your company. It is to seek advice. And the more barriers that we put in between what is necessary and what is expected, the less we will be inclined 
to show hospitality to our brothers and sisters. So invite each other home, you know. Maybe don't invite each other home. If you are hanging out somewhere, just go for coffee. That's fine. But make it a habit to show kindness and hospitality to those in the household of God, especially those who we are unfamiliar with. Don't invite the same people over and over again. Invite everyone. Visit everyone. Secondly, we have to invite your neighbors. You have, to, you have to enter into a relationship with our neighbors. We are not the Amish. We are not the Hutterites. I don't know if you've heard of them. If you go to Manitoba, you find Hutterites, you find um, exclusive brethren, uh, Millerites, people who live in self-contained communities where all their neighbors are just like themselves, right? Where they share everything. We are not in that situation. God has placed us in communities where our neighbors are not like us. In fact, they might be, their worldviews might be diametrically opposed to us. But if we make it a point to engage with them, to, to use opportunities to invite them in, or maybe even when it's Christmas or Easter, to give them cookies or baked goods, we are potentially opening up an avenue to express God's love for them through our witnessing. That's what some people call it strategic hospitality. I don't, it sounds bad, right? When you use the word strategic, it, looks, it sounds like you are like conniving. It's not, it's not meant to be that way. It's meant to be an expression of your love for the people who God loves, right? It's not a project. You shouldn't have a checklist which says, I will bake cookies for five neighbors this year and then check them off. It's supposed to be uh, a seeking of an opportunity to showcase God's love for the people around you. And the way you do that, the way we should do that, is to invite people over, is to, is to share something of our lives with them, and, in have every, and take every opportunity where they might be in need. You know, I'm astounded by the friendliness of those around me. You know, when, when they see your car not starting in the morning, uh, when they see you struggling with something uh, in your house, people are very hospitable. And it's a shame if we are somehow less hospitable we, than them. The only way for us is to be more, right? More than just helpers in times of need. We have to seek out opportunities to minister to those around us. And lastly, um, another practical way to, to put this into uh, application is to participate in the community where we have been placed, right? There, there are avenues, there, there are opportunities where we can have uh, a voice in the community that we are in, whether that's in the neighborhood, whether that's in your school district, whether that is in your library. You know, sometimes Christians don't have a voice because our voice has been uh, shut down or has been silenced. But most times Christians don't have a voice because we never speak up in the first place. You know, engage in the community in the ways that we can. That could be a housing board. It could be, like I said, it could be a parent-teacher meetings. If you think of those kinds of events as means by which we can get to know people in our community, then we can use them 
to perhaps open up a door for the gospel in the lives of the people who come to those particular occasions. Therefore, see, Christian hospitality is an extension of the glory and character of God. And we are asked to engage in hospitality not because we need to be affirmed, not because we want to showcase our uh, talents in entertaining, but because we want to show the love of God for people. Whether that is our brother, our sister, whether that is someone unfamiliar to us, whether that is someone who is, who is uh, somehow detained, we are asked to do that because God did that for us. Because God showed hospitality to us when we were sinners. And we look forward to the day when the ultimate host will once again open the door for us to enter into his, into his home where he has prepared a room for us. But till that day, we are asked to show that expectation, to show that hope through our own hospitality that we can um, extend to our church, to our neighborhood, and especially to those who are in need. Let us pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word that is so practical, Lord, that doesn't uh, just uh, leave us hanging with, um, with concepts and, um, and, uh, and great theories, but rather, Lord, you show how to make use of those uh, teachings, Lord, not just uh, through words, but also by your own actions. We remember that you loved us first and gave your son for us, that you invited us into your household, even though you were strangers and aliens. Lord, and, and because of your great love for us today, we can be called citizens of the family of God. We pray, O Lord, that that same love, that same hospitality which you showed to us, we can also extend to those in your, to those in your household, to those um, amongst us in our neighborhoods, and especially, O Lord, to those who need that affirmation, that encouragement most, those who are vulnerable, those who are in need, those who are suffering, those who need a shoulder to cry on. Pray, O Lord, that um, as we go out of here, we do not just leave behind our Christian witness, but rather take it out uh, into our homes, into the world, into the workplace. And thereby, O Lord, open up avenues and opportunities for your gospel and your kingdom to spread. Pray, O Lord, that as we depart, you keep us safe and sound uh, in this coming week. And if there is the opportunity for us to gather again, if you're coming, tires to keep us safe till then. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.